0: Of the many images from the Kennedy assassination, perhaps none touched the hearts of a grieving nation more than that photograph. You know the one I'm referring to, the little boy saluting the flag-draped coffin of his dad. Dan Farrell, the man who took that iconic photograph, says it was, quote, the saddest thing I've ever seen in my whole life. Welcome to episode two of Fatal Voyage, John F. Kennedy Jr. Case Solved. I'm your host, ex-homicide detective Colin McLaren. Last time, we heard our JFK Jr. had been born into a dynasty that would become known as Camelot. In this episode, we're going to examine the dark side of that legacy and what has become known as the Kennedy Curse.
1: So I always have been interested in the Kennedy family and the tragedies that have been, uh, it seems like one thing after another, they just get infected with generation after generation. So you could call it the Kennedy curse. You could also call it the curse of power, that sometimes people who are in power, these sort of things happen. I think there's something psychological about it. It's almost like the scales have to be balanced. life says, you've been too blessed, you've had too much, now we're going to take some away from you.
0: And how that curse would once again exact a terrible toll on the man who, as a little blond haired boy, was required to salute the passing coffin of his dead father, as the entire world watched on.
2: I think there's a parallel or a similarity between the death of the father and the death of the son in that in both cases... There was great unfulfilled potential. We have no idea of what could have happened. So his presidency had great potential. In fact, the potential is so great that most academics rank him as a great president even without having accomplished these things. And the same kind of uh, hovers over the life of John F. Kennedy Jr., the fact that he could have done great things could have been a president could have been a governor a senator could have been a great public figure the rest of his life and impacted the world for good so in both cases they're cut down and cut short of what most people believe would be a great life and a great contribution to humanity
0: Following the assassination of President Kennedy, the conspiracy theories began almost immediately. Did Lee Harvey Oswald act alone? Was there a second shooter at the scene? Who was pulling the moving strings behind the scenes and how deep did the rabbit hole go? Here's JFK historian, John Henke.
3: There are 10 affidavits in the Warren Commission documents from witnesses in Dealey Plaza, who all said that the limousine stopped in front of the grassy knoll, they don't say waiting for the kill shot, but you can put those elements together to see that the Secret Service stopped the limousine in front of the grassy knoll waiting for the kill shot. In
0: 1964, the Warren Commission, set up by President Lyndon Johnson to investigate the killing, concluded that Oswald was the lone assassin. It was to be another 11 years before another committee ruled that the Warren Commission was fundamentally flawed. And not until 1979 before the House Select Committee concluded that the murder was most likely the result of a bigger, far-reaching conspiracy. However, they did not say who was behind that conspiracy. Like me, JFK Jr. suspected a cover-up. Author Doug Weed has written over 30 books and interviewed no fewer than six presidents and has unrivaled insight into the machinations of the White House.
2: I received a call from a lady whose father had worked for Frank Church and had been his closest aide. And she told me the story that when it was all over, her father, who had worked so hard for the Senator in these hearings, had said, why, Senator, didn't you go ahead? and publish your findings? Why did you back down after all that you'd gone through?" And she said that Senator Church said to her father, the country could not have survived if they had known the truth of our investigation into the CIA. It was a lengthy investigation. They interrogated many CIA agents. And at the conclusion of it, it was like, a." He pulled his punches, it was a whimper.
0: John Jr. was to later begin his own investigation into his father's death. I felt that
4: it was just something he had to live with, that he was John Kennedy. But he was, he was very proud of it in the sense that he named his, put the, the number of the PT-109, that was his father's World War II PT boat. He put that on his plane. He thought about his father constantly.
0: But tragically, the assassination of JFK Sr. was only the beginning. Shortly after midnight, on June the 5th, 1968, Kennedy's beloved uncle, Bobby Kennedy, was also executed. He was killed at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles, just hours after winning the California presidential primary. Here's reporter Leon Wagner, who has been close to the Kennedys since the 1970s.
4: After JFK was assassinated, Jackie really leaned heavily on Bobby. And he spent a tremendous amount of time with her. They spent so much time together, and they were so affectionate that there were rumors that they were having an affair, which I don't know. It is possible. They certainly were tight. But I think more than anything, he was a, something to lean on. And you know, because he was her brother-in-law, and she trusted him implicitly, and he understood her pain, which nobody else really could understand quite the way he could and um, then suddenly he was slain and um, that was i guess in a a way a final blow
0: one of the consultants at bobby's autopsy was forensic pathologist cyril wecht
3: i was an official consultant to dr thomas naguchi chief medical examiner coroner of los angeles county You'll see my name listed. You look up the autopsy report. In fact, Tom called me about 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, my time. Um, it was three hours earlier there uh, from Los Angeles. He didn't need any advice on how to do an autopsy, but he uh, was concerned that they would try to take Bobby Kennedy's body away like they had done with JFK in Dallas. And Tom and I had become good friends at the American Academy of Forensic Sciences, and he knew of my outspoken comments regarding what they had done and I advised him in fact among things which he did was to invite to act in a proactive fashion and invite the government to send in their forensic pathologists to be observers at your autopsy and he did that and three of those military forensic pathologists whom we knew they were colleagues they attended
0: Despite the attempt at transparency, it seemed that, once again, a Kennedy assassination was followed by another shady cover-up.
3: By the way, in the cover-up, remember the scenario in which Bobby Kennedy was assassinated? Look it up. The distance from which the fatal shot was fired, striking him just above and slightly behind the right ear, was one to one and a half inches one to one and a half inches. And the bullet also had a slightly forward trajectory, Sir so hand in front of him. And you gotta ask yourself, how is this possible? I'll tell you how it's possible because the defense attorney, who by the way, was not some snot-nosed kid out of law school or in a public defender's office. He was an experienced criminal defense attorney named Grant Cooper. Never, never consulted a forensic pathologist or a ballistics expert. Never had anybody testify at the trial. And in the cross examination of Dr. Noguchi, never asked him the question I asked you two minutes ago about the distance from which the shot was fired or its trajectory. Never. You talked about setups.
0: The newest original release from Great Courses Plus is a narrative documentary called Going to the Devil, the Impeachment of 1868. Even though it's about the impeachment of President Johnson, the first in US history, it's still a relevant story, as you might imagine, based on the news cycle lately. I watched Going to the Devil and I loved how the story was laid out. I didn't feel like I was sitting in a history class being lectured to. It felt more like I was watching the History Channel. And let me just say, there's a lot we can learn about 1868. I loved going to the devil, mainly because I love history. But the Great Courses Plus, they have tons of other courses available to listen to or to watch. Whether you want to learn how to draw, how to speak a new language, or how to live more sustainable, the Great Courses Plus has it all. And their courses on this educational streaming service are taught by the best of the best, professors and experts in their field. So all I have to ask is, what are you waiting for? Sign up for The Great Courses Plus. They're offering our listeners an amazing deal. Three months of unlimited access for just $30. That's only $10 per month. To get this limited time offer, you must sign up today using my special URL. Get all the details at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash jfkjr. That's thegreatcoursesplus.com slash JFKJR. I want to take a minute to talk about something important mental health. You wouldn't hesitate to go to the doctor for professional care if you had a broken bone. Your mental health deserves the same attention. BetterHelp, the world's largest counselling service, is secure, affordable online counselling. They assess your needs in order to match you up with a counsellor from a huge network of licensed, accredited and board certified therapists. And once you're matched up, you can start communicating with your counsellor in under 24 hours. With BetterHelp, you never have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. Instead, get therapy from the comfort of your own living room. Now you're no longer limited to the nine to five of traditional therapy. You can log into your account anytime to message your counselor or set up weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp's mission is to provide everyone with easy, affordable and private access to professional counseling anytime, anywhere. Go get started today. Death of JFK Junior listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash JFKJR. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P slash J-F-K-J-R. With John and Bobby killed, third brother Ted Kennedy was the last of old Joe's sons still standing. A respected senator himself, he had his own brush with death in 1964 when the plane in which he was travelling crashed in bad weather near Southampton, Massachusetts. The pilot and another passenger were killed. And Ted spent five months in hospital recovering from a broken back, punctured lung and broken ribs. Worse was to follow, as reporter Andy
5: Tillett explains. In 1969, Ted Kennedy was involved in what's now known as the Chappaquiddick incident. He had been at a party in Martha's Vineyard for a group of young women who had worked on Bobby's presidential campaign the year before. He leaves the party with one of the women, a 28-year-old called Mary Jo Kopechny, and while driving across the bridge back from Chappaquiddick Island, loses control and crashes into the water.
0: Ted Kennedy managed to escape
5: from the car, but Mary Jo did not. Mary Jo Kopechny died in what seems to have been a tragic accident, but several things didn't add up. Senator Kennedy says he dived below the surface seven or eight times to try to rescue her before swimming to the shore and leaving her drowned, still trapped in the car. That may be true, but he then didn't report the accident until the next morning after her body had already been found. Why would he not report it? Did he just go home and go to bed like nothing had happened? He also denied driving under the influence of alcohol and said that there had been nothing improper about his relationship with Mary Jo. Both statements have been called into question many times in the intervening years.
0: A week after the crash, Ted Kennedy pleaded guilty to leaving the scene of an accident and was given a two-month suspended sentence, avoiding imprisonment. Oddly, no autopsy was ever performed on the body of Mary Jo. In 1970, an inquest into Mary Jo's death concluded that several aspects of Ted Kennedy's story of that night were not true. Yet another cover-up which is now becoming the modus operandi of the Kennedys, hiding the facts.
3: Mary Jo Kopechny was a cover-up combination. I I think just some pressures behind the scenes, having nothing to do with politics and with the Kennedys, and that's just a, a disgrace.
0: The Kennedy curse was not limited to the sons of Joe Senior, however. Over the coming decades, there were further incidents and deaths all involving John
5: Jr's cousins, four of them the sons of Bobby Kennedy. There did seem to be this extraordinary run of accidents, reckless behaviour, bad luck, call it what you will, with Bobby's kids. I'll just run through a few of them. In August 1973, when he was 20, Bobby's eldest son, Joseph, crashed his Jeep in Nantucket, badly injuring his brother David's back and permanently paralysing David's girlfriend, Pam Kelly. As a result of that, David became addicted to painkillers, which then escalated into heroin. He was later found dead in a hotel room in Palm Beach in 1984 from an overdose of a cocktail of drugs, including cocaine and Demerol. Then you've got another brother, Bobby Jr., also using heroin. He was arrested in 1983 for heroin possession following a near overdose himself. Then finally, there's Michael, who died in 1991 in Aspen, Colorado. He had been playing football on skis without any kind of helmet or other safety equipment when he hit a tree. Just as a kind of postscript, the same year that Michael died, another cousin, William Kennedy Smith, who was the son of John Jr.'s aunt Jean, was arrested and charged with the rape of a young woman he had met while drinking at a bar in Palm Beach with his uncle, Ted Kennedy. She alleged that after they had returned to the nearby Kennedy estate, he had sexually assaulted her. At trial, however, he was acquitted of all charges. So it seems there's just this kind of litany of recklessness, bad behaviour, criminality, and bad luck running through all these kids. According to Leon Wagner,
0: at least he was never tempted by drugs. John
4: didn't use drugs. He deliberately didn't because he had a fear of them because mostly, because his cousins, David, Michael, Bobby Jr. all used heroin and you know had some terrible experiences with it, David and Michael both died. Michael had a sea accident, but he was inebriated at the time. And Bobby Jr. was arrested in South Dakota for possession of heroin. And he just didn't like to be around drug use at all.
0: John Jr. may have stayed away from drugs, But like so many of his family, he had inherited the Kennedy wild streak. In the
4: 60 years, almost since John Kennedy was assassinated, there have been a death in the Kennedy family, an accidental death in the Kennedy family every two years, nearly exactly every two years, which is pretty extraordinary, I think, for any family, even a large family like theirs. That sort of sounds like a curse to me, but like I say, it's a curse that they, to some degree, brought upon themselves by risky behavior.
1: John F. Kennedy Jr. was fearless, and some say he was very reckless, that he took extraordinary chances as a skier, as a kayaker on the water. There's just many occasions where people said, you're going to kill yourself. What are you doing?
0: As a reporter assigned to cover the Kennedys for most of his career, Leon Wagner watched John Jr. grow from a stoic boy into a headstrong young man.
4: They were wild kids. They were fun to be around and you never knew quite what to expect from them. I have to say that they had a tremendous exhibitionist streak in them and enjoyed showing off, particularly Given the fact that their home, their their compound of of, of homes was a a huge tourist attraction. And there was a constant stream of traffic driving five miles an hour past the uh, compound, hoping for a look inside. Some of the Kennedy cousins of of John Junior's had a habit of coming out front and posing and then yanking their blouses up and flashing the tourists. And as one of them told me, that'll give them something to talk about when they get home. When he was in Hyannisport, he would do things like he would take his cousins, and this is part of his exhibitionist thing too. He would organize a party at the Hyannisport Yacht Club, which is just across the street from the compound on the ocean. And um, they of course, it's a private club, and it's locked up at night, but of course they had the Kennedys had keys to it, so they could get in anytime they wanted. And they would go take six packs of beer, and drink, and they would take off their clothes and skinny dip in the ocean off the dock. Just you know, at midnight, two o'clock in the morning, they kind of did whatever they wanted. They ran the place, and the, the cops, more or less, that surrounded the compound, they had temporary cops. Uh, They were just hired for the summer and were really hired for the purpose of guarding the Kennedy compound. And uh, I made friends with with a couple of them, and they told me some stories that make your hair stand on end about uh, some of their antics. Like uh, for example, one of the Kennedy women, Jean Kennedy, would tie ropes onto the back of her car and drive around with the kids on their bikes hanging onto the back of it. And she wouldn't go slow, she'd go 15, 20 miles an hour. I mean, it'd been a fatality if something had God forbid happened.
0: As much as I love true crime and solving mysteries, sometimes even I need a break from time to time. But in order to do my best work as a detective, I need to stay sharp and keep my brain active. That's why I love solving puzzles and playing games to keep myself sharp, like Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a mobile puzzle game that's totally free to download. You match three of a kind to clear the board, but unlike some other matching games I've played, this one lets you collect characters along the way that help you in the game. It can be a challenge, but it's a fun little game that really anyone can play. With my work, I tend to travel a lot, so I like to play it when I'm waiting for my flight or when I'm on the plane, since you don't need to be connected to the internet to play. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tonnes of characters too. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. leon believes that the so-called kennedy curse has its roots in this seemingly ingrained taste for danger rather than extraordinary bad luck
4: it occurred to me with that kind of behavior and that kind of behavior being encouraged by the grown-ups who didn't act very grown up most of the time that the kennedy curse was a, a curse that was brought on by their behavior it was to some degree that they just couldn't contain themselves they took risks and did things that ordinary people wouldn't do and as a result along the line although they got away with quite a bit of it they got away with a tremendous amount of it that when you consider the outcome it's not surprising I mean if you do that kind of thing all the time and as they got older they skied and played football at the same time in Aspen, which is what killed Michael Kennedy, um, one of John's cousins. And they flew airplanes and they did all the riskiest sports you could possibly do. Uh, They just um, really challenged the harsh reality of life to
0: to take them. There is another trait unique to the Kennedys, that is the family's mafia-like amurta, Code of Silence, about anything that might possibly disparage one of their own. Writer and presidential expert Doug Weed explains one tactic used by the family to perpetuate the Kennedy myth.
1: The Kennedys try to control it, and for many years, when a book would come out that would tell the full story, the Kennedys would have another book ready. They would have someone always writing a book, a friend. And then when the controversial book would come, they quickly rush to print their new book so that someone going into a bookstore would be confused and wouldn't know which was the book that they had heard about they wanted to buy. Also, sometimes their official books backfire. They were forced by law to release some of the presidential papers. You can only keep them under wraps so long and then by law they have to be public. So when the expiration date came, the Kennedys released tens of thousands and thousands of pages of documents. And they did that to dilute the release so that journalists wouldn't be able to find the more damaging information that was being made public. They went to Robert Dalek, a great presidential historian and gave him the initial look and the head start to write a good book about John F. Kennedy, which he did, but now it had all this information about how ill Kennedy was and it had things like his IQ. You can go online and you'll see all kinds of stories about IQs of the American, who was the smartest president? And they'll show pictures of John Kennedy with an IQ of 163. And it's all false. His IQ was 119. He took a written test as a young person at Chote Academy, and those uh, numbers had to be released. He was very poor at math and very poor at science, extremely poor. He was very high in English and in literature. So he sounded very well-educated and very impressive. And a 119 is above-average IQ. That's a B student in college. So, but it's not 160. That's not accurate. Nevertheless, the Kennedys, as a family, will promote that.
0: The effect, as Cyril Wecht explains, is to suppress the truth, blur the facts, and feed the conspiracies.
3: I don't understand what the problem is, why the Kennedys, as they say, unknowingly, unwittingly, in their uh, uptight feelings, play into the hands of anybody who was involved in these deaths, like the assassinations of John and Robert, and in the accident of Mary Jo Capekney with Ted Kennedy. Why the Kennedys do this, I I, I don't know, I, I can't answer that. In that regard, somewhat related, I remember last year uh, when Mrs. Kopechny, the mother of Mary Jo Kopechny, was interviewed, and I remember that, and it brought tears to my eyes. She said the worst mistake she had ever made in her life was vehemently arguing against the exhumation of her daughter and the performance of an autopsy. That is what she said last year.
0: As the son of JFK, John Jr. effectively found himself at the head of the next generation of this complicated and cursed Kennedy dynasty. Occasionally, the pressure would tell on the young patriarch in peculiar ways. Leon Wagner remembers witnessing one such incident himself. He was
4: a boy that, I have to say, he had a manic energy to him. And it was impossible for him to sit still for much of a time, and I went to his grandfather, uh, Hugh Auchincloss, his step-grandfather, actually, his funeral in Newport, Rhode Island, and John was, uh, I want to say about nine, approximately, ten maybe. We were in a very small airport in Newport, they had no secret service or any protection, And John was bored with having to wait for their private plane to arrive. And all of a sudden, he just spontaneously sprung out of his seat and started dancing. And I mean, dancing manically, like he couldn't control what he was doing almost. And Jackie, interestingly, just ignored him and let him get it out of the system, I guess. But there was I was with a photographer and he of course was snapping some pictures and Jackie walked up to me and said would you please tell him to stop doing that t- taking his pictures and so I said sure so you know I, I did and uh, we let him be but then he he danced like that for I don't know, say 10 15 minutes and uh, it was quite a display and I, I have to think that part of it, was his manic energy part of it was the fact that he'd been through a lot and the idea of attending yet another funeral and um, his life was just kind of filled with death at that young age I have to think that 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 sort of set him off and that Jackie understood that and that's why she made no attempt really to to stop him or to say anything to him. she Just let him get it out of his system. Now he clearly he calmed down. I mean I never saw him do anything like that you know when he got a little older.
0: As John Jr. grew from child to man the pressure of living up to the Kennedy name and perhaps the growing dread of the Kennedy curse would only grow with him.
2: There may be a reason for it, that it may be that, I mean, from the time they're little kids growing up, people come up to them and say, when are you going to be president? And especially with John F. Kennedy Jr., because not only was his father president, but his father was assassinated. So it's almost like, hey, pal, when are you going to get this back? It's almost the pressure is on. So under normal circumstances, the pressure is on these namesakes. They tend to do things that are self-destructive. They become alcoholics. So that's something that happens naturally. But if your dad is assassinated, it's kind of like, hey, are you gonna let him get away with that? You're supposed to take it back. That's tremendous pressure to be under, to live under. I don't think they would be that overt in their pressure, but it was kind of a, it was a given. It, It was pretty hard to avoid. I mean, every time you turned around, anybody you were introduced to or you ever met, it would be
4: discussed. It was something that was faced every day. He didn't show that there were any, you know, that it affected him in any way, because it would be not mannish, not Kennedy enough to show any emotions about it. But the effect of the assassinations overall on John over the years, was to accept his mother's dire warnings that they were out to kill Kennedys. And you would think that that would petrify a young man.
0: Finally, on July the 16th, 1999, the curse struck again.
2: So I was in an automobile, and the radio was on, and it came over the news that John F. Kennedy Jr., his airplane had disappeared over the Atlantic. And I had chills go down my spine. I thought, this is just wow. I heard it and I thought, this has happened over and over and over throughout history. This cannot be a coincidence. There must be some terrible pressure. I don't believe in curses, but there must be at some subconscious level something very strong that's going on. That some terrible pressure that's going on. I've had people say that it could be the reverse. I tend to say that they have these feelings of self-destruction, that I'm not going to be president, I'm not going to make it, this is just too much, I can't take this, and that at some unconscious level that's going on. But I've had others say the opposite. They'd say that they felt John F. Kennedy Jr. was just bold beyond reason, that he took great risks, extreme risks, that he didn't wear a life preserver and he'd be out in a kayak and that he felt he was indestructible, that I'm a Kennedy and nothing can happen to me. I have a destiny. So I've heard it both ways. I tend to suspect it's the former.
0: Next time on Fatal Voyage, John F. Kennedy Jr. Case Solved.
4: The cocaine just spiraled out of control. That's when he became angry at her and yelled at her and cursed at her.
2: I said, if I had millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars, the last thing I'd want to be doing is flying there in a small plane. John F. Kennedy Jr. may have had a death wish when he took that plane up.
0: The Death of JFK Jr. is hosted by myself, Colin McLaren. It's executive produced by Dylan Howard and Matt Sprouse and is a production of Broad and Water Studios and Endeavour Audio. Executive producers also include Tom Freestone, James Robertson and Andy Tillett and the series is written by Dominic Utton. Reporting by Douglas Montero, the series is mixed and engineered by Sean Cravett and Sam Adder. There is so much more to this story, and you don't want to miss anything, I can assure you. Make sure you subscribe to Fatal Voyage, the Death of JFK Jr. wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Christoph Putzel, host of American Jihadi, a new podcast from Endeavor Audio. American Jihadi follows my reporting on Omar Hamami an American from Alabama who rose to the ranks of the Somali Islamist extremist group Al-Shabaab. We spoke in secret for over a year. Omar tested me in ways no other subject I'd covered before had, and he disrupted the tidy story I had told myself about the line between good and evil. Don't miss a minute of the story. Subscribe to American Jihadi wherever you get your podcasts.